theyeshiva.net. Mazel tov, mazel tov to all of the Messiahim of Meseches Erevin. It's been a long journey. A hundred and four blot of Gemara and a challenging Mesechta, a difficult Mesechta. You plow through the Mesechta in one way or another, day in, day out. Mazel tov, mazel tov to all those who finished Mesechta Erevin, to all those who will finish Mesechta Erevin, and to all those who will be inspired from the Siyam of Mesechta Erevin to continue learning Mesechta Psachim and to continue learning and growing in your learning. It's a great moment to be able to celebrate with all of you and all of us. And thank you for joining us for this Siyum and Hadron on Mesechus Erevin. The Siyum I'm going to be teaching tonight, Be'ezer Hashem, is based on a Siyum and Hadron on Mesechta Erevin that was made by the Lubavitcher Rebbe on the yard site of his father, Chof of Tovshin Chof Beis, the 20th of Av, 1962. The Lubavitcher Rebbe used to uh, publicly make around six siyumim or hadranim on mesechtas throughout the year at different occasions, including the yard site of his father-in-law, the yard site of his father, the yard site of his mother, and other occasions, Yotes Kislev, and on his birthday, and Erev Shavuos, and Chamisha uh, Sabaov, or uh, different, uh, different, different occasions during the, during the year. Sometimes he would make a siyum on the whole shas, Sometimes you'd make a siyum on an individual mesechta. Sometimes you'd make a siyum on four mes- on, a, on a few mesechtas together. Sometimes on the mesechta in Bavli and Yerushalmi. That particular day, Chaf of, is the yard set of his father. His father's name was Reb Levi Yitzchok. Reb Levi Yitzchok Schneerson died in uh, Stalin's gulag in the exile. He was exiled to Kazakhstan in 1939. And in 1939, he was arrested during the Stalin purges. He was the Rav of the Dnepropetrovsk in the Ukraine. And he was arrested and exiled and uh, to Kazakhstan. They gave him permission to move to a place, Almata, but he was very ill and he passed away in the summer, August of 44. Every year on the 20th of Av, the Lubavitcher Rebbe would hold a Fabrengen and during the Fabrengen, he would make a siyum on a Mesechta. That particular year, Tavshim Chavbei 62, the Rebbe made a siyum on Meseches Erevin. Years later, he made another siyum on Erevin, on Yerushalmi Erevin, I was already there. That was the art set of his father-in-law, the Rebbe Rayat Tavshin Mem Gimel, Yud Shvat Tavshin Mem Gimel, 1983. But we're focusing on this siyum of Tavshin Chav Beis, 1962. A big part of it was published in his Lekutei Sichais, volume 11, Parshas B'Shalach, which is the parsha that deals with various subjects of Shabbos and Erevin. So Lekutei Sichais, volume 11, Parshas B'Shalach, this siyum is published. And anybody who wants can uh, listen to it. Today you have the MP3s. You can hear it. It was a weekday for bringing. It was a seam that went for, I think, close to two hours. And you can also read it in the Lukut Sichais, which we uh, will be posting here on the PDF, the source sheets. If you open up the source sheets at the end of the class, you'll see the whole Sichas, so you could learn it inside if you want. But we have source sheets, the first page of the source sheets that we're going to be using. And let's begin the seal. I'm planning, Be'ezer Hashem, to divide this year into two sections. The first section is going to be the Rebbe's explanation in the sugya of the Mishnah and the Gemara, an insight of the Rebbe into the sugya, And then the next part of the shir is going to be the spiritual explanation of the Neshama of Mesechta Erevin. So it's going to be two different parts of the Siyam. Now, I would have loved to explore the entire Siyam of the Rebbe, the entire of the Rebbe, but uh, it would be... <laughs> much, much longer, and a lot, a lot of shiurim. 
So because of the constraints of time, I do have to say that I'm taking out one point in the first section of the Siyam and another point in the other section, although there's many other points, but uh, we have to use Kayechat Simtsum and limit ourselves to uh, just a few points. Let's begin. Open your source sheets. We're going to learn the last mission of Maseches Erevin. That's what you do in a Siyam, which is Erevin Dav Kovdal Amid Beis. Zog the Mishnah. Sheretz Shenimtsim Mikdush. A dead Sheretz, a dead insect. There are, there are eight... Uh, creeping creatures called the Shemayna Shratzim, that after they die, they impart impurity. And if I touch it, I become tummy. For example, a dead weasel, a dead mouth, mouse, a dead lizard, a dead mole. They're mentioned in Parshish Shmini. So if you have such a dead Sheretz, and it's found in the Mikdash, it happens. A weasel is dead in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, we're not allowed to have Tum in the Beis HaMikdash. So it has to be a place of purity. So the Sheretz has to be dealt with. It has to be taken out. But here's the problem. The Kayin, <laughs> if he just comes and takes the Sheretz and throws it out of the Beis HaMikdash, what happens? He becomes Tameh. A Kayin is not supposed to allow himself to become Tameh, especially when he is in the Beis HaMikdash, because a Kayin who's Tameh is not allowed to be in the Beis HaMikdash. It's actually a very serious transgression. So what do you do? Says the Mishnah, Kayin The Kayin takes his gartel, his sash, his belt, and he lifts up the dead sheretz with his gartel, and he gets rid of it. So what happens now? What happens is as follows. The kayin himself doesn't get tame. The gartel gets tame because it touched the sheretz. The halacha by sheretz is, very briefly, a sheretz is called an av It's a source of tumah. When it touches something, that something becomes what's called a vlad a child of tumah, the second generation. The Sheretz is the first generation, the Tati of Tumah, Ava Tumah. And then there's the recipient of that Tumah, that's called Rishon Latumah, the first gen, the first child of Lada Tumah. So the Gartel, the belt, the sash of the Kayin, is a beggar, it's a garment, which is susceptible to Tumah. So it becomes Tameh. It becomes Tameh. But the Kayin himself doesn't become Tameh. And the reason is because a human being, or actually a utensil as well, a human being, a garment, a bowl, let's say a wooden bowl, a metal bowl, only can become impure if they come in contact with the source of Tumah. Not, not with the second generation. Not with the Vlada Tumah, which is also called Risha in the Tumah. If the Kayin would have touched the Sheretz directly, he would have become Tameh. That's forbidden. But he didn't touch the Sheretz. The Gartel touched the Sheretz. So the Gartel is a Risha, and now the Kayin can't become Tameh from that. So if, if the Gartel, by the way, would touch food, let's say the Gartel would touch bread or meat, it would become Tameh. Because food is more sensitive. Food or liquid can become tame from a garment that touched a sheretz, but the kayin himself would not. Now, even though the kayin is carrying it, a sheretz will not impart purity when you carry it, only when you touch it. So therefore, the kayin gets rid of the sheretz. Shaloi lishais esatuma, so that the tuma does not remain in the base hamikdash. We don't want it to remain there even for an extra moment. And therefore, the kayin takes his gartel, even though the gartel is now going to become tame, and it's going to have to be purified in the mikvah, that's fine. Divri Rabbi Yechanan ben this is the opinion of Rabbi Yechanan ben Breika. Rabbi Yehudai, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, bitzvas shall eats. Let the Kayan find tongues of wood, wooden tongues, and pick up the dead sherets, the dead insect with these wooden tongues, and take it out of the Beis HaMikdash. What's the advantage? The halacha is that pshute clay eats, which means wooden vessels that don't have a cavity are not susceptible to Tumah. 
So if I have a wooden bowl or a wooden cup and the sherets would fall into it, that wooden vessel would become tummy. But if I have wooden, let's shut this, if I have wooden tongues, if I have wooden tongues, a tzvas is like a plier, a plier, a tzvengel, or tongues. If I have wooden tongues, it's flat. It doesn't have a cavity inside. It's not an open vessel that contains something inside. So therefore, if I lift up the dead sherets with the wooden tongues, it's wonderful. The kayan is not tameh. His garment is not tameh. And these pliers are not tameh. So that's what you should do. Shaloy le rabbi says satuma. Even though, this is how the Gemara explains it, even though by waiting to find wooden tongues, the sherets will probably be there for much longer. Because if the kayan takes his belt, he's always wearing an avnate. A kayan serving the Besamekdash has to wear four garments. He has to be wearing a hat. He has to be wearing a shirt. He has to be wearing pants. And he has to be wearing... A sash, an avnate. So he always has it available. So therefore, he just lifts up the sherets, he takes it out. So what happens? The sherets is gone immediately, but the belt is tummy. But if he has to go find wooden tongues, it may be right there. He may have to look for it. There may have to be a search committee. It may take five minutes. It may take five hours. Somebody may have to bring it. Whatever is the case, whatever the situation is, it's going to delay getting rid of the sherets. So he says, but Shaloy Rabbi says, Rabbi Huda says, I would rather if the Tumma is there longer, as long as you don't increase the Tumma. In other words, the wooden tongues are not going to become Tame. That's the advantage of using wooden tongues over the belt of the coin. So we have an argument between Rabbi Yochan and Bebraika and Rabbi Yehuda. Then the Mishnah goes on to discuss the location of where the Sheretz is, which part of the Beis HaMikdash it is. Does the Halacha change? If it was in the Heichel, if it was in the Azorah? That's the next part of the mission. And by the way, this debate is true about Shabbos. It's also true about the weekdays. Whenever there's a dead sheritz in the Beis HaMikdash, how should it be dealt with? Comes the Mishnah, and now moves on to a different topic, which is very perplexing. Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon says, and I'm going to translate, Wherever the sages allowed you to do something, you should realize that they gave you what belongs to you, because they only allowed you to do it if it was a rabbinic prohibition. Now you're asking, what is the connection? We just spoke about a dead sheritz in the Beis HaMikdash, how the Koyin should take it out, with his belt or with wooden tongues. Where did we discuss something that warrants this statement from Rib Shimon? How do I know it's a good question? Because the Gemara asks it. And this is the last piece of Gemara of Maseches Erevin. Erevin, Daf Kufhe Amar Aleph. Erevin 105a, which ends the Masechta, analyzes these last words of Reb Shimon, which concluded the last mission of Masechta Erevin and Kofdal Aramid Beis. Says the Gemara. Let's see the Gemara inside. Reb Shimon Aymen. Reb Shimon Heichakai. What is Reb Shimon referring to? What are his words relating to? They seem to be introduced here in a vacuum. There's no relationship to anything that was said before. So the Gemara says, you're right. Reb Shimon is a continuation to a Mishnah that was written way, way back in Erevin, the end of chapter 4. Dafnun Beis Omid Beis. And the Mishnah says, Hey Chakai, Hasam Kai, the Tanan, we learned in a Mishnah six chapters ago, Mi Shehech Shechutz Latchum, Afilu Ama Achas, Lo Yikonez, Reb Shimonoi, Merafilu Chameish Esrei Ama Yikonez, Lefeisha Eina Meshuches, Mamatzenes Amidus, Mepnei Atoinim, Deka Amar Tanakama, Lo Yikonez, Vamale Reb Shimon Yikonez. So the Gemara says, Let me explain to you, we'll give you context. 
Earlier in Meseches Erevin, we had a very interesting argument with Tanakama and Rabshim. What was the argument? It was a situation of Let's remember the facts so we can appreciate what the Gemara is teaching us here. We all know there's something called Chum Shabbos, which is the border of Shabbos. The Pasuk says in Beshalach, Al Ish Mem A person should not leave his place or her place on the seventh day. Don't leave your place on the seventh day. From here, the Chachamim learned out that there's something called the border of Shabbos, Tchum Shabbos. There's something called your space on Shabbos. This is your space. And I'm not allowed to go out of this space on Shabbos. This is called the border, which I should not be crossing on Shabbos. I can walk to the border, but I should not cross the border on Shabbos. This is called Tchum Shabbos. What is this Tchum Shabbos? So if I am in a town or a village in a city, I could walk throughout the entire city, as large as it is. Plus, I can leave the city and walk in each direction, 2,000 Amois. 2,000 Amois would be, contemporary numbers, it would be between 3,000 and 4,000 feet. Because an Amma is approximately a foot and a half or two feet. There are, there's an argument about the exact contemporary measurement. You have Reb Chaim Na, who says an Amma is a little more than 18 inches. I think 18.18, a little more than 18 inches is an Amma. So it's a foot and a half, maybe a little more. You have Reb Moshe Feinstein, puts a little higher, you have the Chazaynish, who says it's almost, it's almost two feet. It's around 23 inches, 23 plus. So let's say 2,000 Amis is between 3,000 and 4,000 feet. So it's on Shabbos, I go to the end of the city, and then I could walk another 2,000 Amis, say another three or 4,000 feet. But that's the Tchum Shabbos. And there were markers. At Kantum there were markers, till where's the Tchum Shabbos? And this is my border. I'm now out of, go out of that Tchum Shabbos. That's if I'm in a city. What if I'm not in a city? What if I am, uh, what if I'm in a house somewhere in the forest? <laughs> what if I have an isolated home somewhere in the wilderness, somewhere in the mountains? What then? Then on Shabbos, I could walk around the whole house. No problem. And when I leave the house, I could choose any direction and go 2,000 amas outside of the house. So I could take a stroll two or three, three or 4,000 feet outside of the house. If I'm in a city, then I could walk to the end of the city plus another 2,000 amas. What happens if I'm not in a house? I'm camping out in the forest. I'm just camping out on Shabbos, right? I pitch a tent and I'm there. I don't have a house. So then, yeah, I have my four cubits, my called my Dalad Amas, which is around six or eight feet, and from there, 2,000 Amas. That's called Chum Shabbos. Asks the Mishnah, what happens if somebody was coming to the city before Shabbos, but you know what? When night fell, when Shabbos arrived, Friday night arrived, he did not enter into the border of the city for Shabbos. Let's say he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He doesn't manage to get into the 2,000 Amas outside of the city. So Tanakhama says, you can't go in. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't go in. Somebody is on his way to come to the city for Shabbos. But by the time Shabbos comes, Friday night arrives and night falls, it gets dark. This person did not make it into the border of Shabbos of that particular city. If he made it into the Tchum Shabbos, which means he arrived within the 2,000 Amis from the edge of the city, then wonderful. Then he's in the Tchum Shabbos of that city. He's in the Makim of that city. And then you know what he can do? He can walk. He can walk till, the, he can walk till that city. He's heading to the city. He can walk till that city. And he is like a resident of the city. 
But what happens if when Shabbos arrives, he was outside of the Tchum? He didn't make it into the border, the perimeter of the 2,000 Amis outside. So Tanakhama says, He cannot go into the city. He's kind of over there in the place where Shabbos, in the place where he is when Shabbos arrives. And from there, he can walk 2,000 Amis. That's not a problem. But he won't be able to make it into the city because he can walk 2,000 Amis, but 2,000 Amis is still not in the city. The first person made it into the Tchum Shabbos so therefore, he's within 2,000 Amas of the city. When he walks 2,000 Amas, he's already in the city. But this person didn't make it into the Tchum Shabbos. He's outside of the Tchum Shabbos. So Tanakhama says he can't go into the city. He can walk 2,000 Amas, but that's his border. Because if somebody is kind of in the forest or in the wilderness, he has 2,000 Amas in every direction. If you, let's say, have a house living in the forest, so then... When Shabbos comes, you're in the house, so then you could walk in the entire house, plus another 2,000 Amas outside of the house. When you're living in a city, then you could walk till the end of the city and then go 2,000 Amas. The whole city is like your home. But this guy, he was Koineshvis outside of the Tchum, so therefore he could only walk 2,000 Amas and he can't go into the Tchum Shabbos. Reb Shimon argues, Reb Shimon says, as long as he's within 15 Amas of the Tchum Shabbos, he can go back into the Tchum. So this is a fascinating halacha. So let's say that Chum Shabbos, there's a border here and it is a sign. This is Chum Shabbos. This person didn't make it into the Chum Shabbos. But he's not so far from it. He's within 15 amas from the Chum Shabbos. So let's say approximately 30 feet from the Chum Shabbos. Rabbi Shimon says, you know what? You could go in. You could go into the border of the city and you could walk into the city and you're good like a resident of the city. Why? What's the logic? The answer is, Rabbi Shimon says, those who created the boundaries and the markers were not accurate. They were, they knew that there's people who take a stroll on Shabbos and they're a little absent-minded and they may walk beyond the marker. You know, they're involved in a conversation, exciting discussion. They might not notice the marker. They may walk a little further and it may take time till they notice that they went outside of the Tchum Shabbos. So deliberately, they brought the Tchum, they made the marker much earlier. In other words, approximately 15 Amas earlier, they made it before the real end. So when you are within 15 Amas of the Tchum Shabbos, Reb Shimon says, it's like you're in the Tchum, even though you think you didn't make it into the Tchum Shabbos because the sign is 15 Amas ahead of you and Shabbos came already, so tough luck. But really, the border is where you are. In other words, you're already in the Tchum Shabbos. If you're 30 Amas away from the Tchum or 100 Amas or 200 Amas or 20 Amas away, then Reb Shimon says you can't go in because you're not in the Tchum Shabbos. You could just go 2,000 Amas, but you can't go into the city. But in this case, because you're within 15 Amas Tchum Shabbos, 15 Amas, 14 Amas, 10 Amas, 5 Amas, one Amas, then you can go into the Tchum Shabbos and you could go into the city. Why? Because when they made the markers, they deliberately did not put it in the right place. They made it a little earlier to allow for people who absent-mindedly walk a little further that they shouldn't be going, they shouldn't be violating the problem of Tchum Shabbos because even if they go another 15 Amas approximately, they're still good. That's what Reb Shimon holds. So the Gemara, Mishnah, the Gemara says, the Ka'amar Tanakam Allah So this is the case. Tanakama says, you're not allowed to go in. And Ibn Shimon says, you're allowed to go into the city, as long as it's within 15 Amas. And just to note, Rabbeinu Yehoinasen says that Ibn Shimon is only talking about a case where you were coming from a different place and you wanted to head to the city, but unfortunately you didn't arrive on time. You were hechshechutz l'tchum. When Shabbos came, you were outside of the tchum. So Ibn Shimon says, if you were within 15 Amas of the tchum, you can go into the city. What happens if there was another situation? A previous mission discusses a case. You were in the city and you left the tchum Shabbos deliberately. You walked out of the Tchum Shabbos. Here, Rabbeinu Yonison says, Reb Shimon would agree with Tanakam. If you walked out of the Tchum Shabbos, even if you're within 15 Amas, we don't say 
that you could just go back. Because you left the Tchum Shabbos, are you within 15 Amis, and you're saying that the markers are inaccurate, still the Shimon would say, since you went out deliberately, you're not allowed to go back. Because you left the Tchum Shabbos, and you weren't allowed to leave the Tchum Shabbos, even though it was inaccurate. That's what Rabbeinu Yohannes says. And other Rishonim also. But the truth is that in Talmud Yerushalmi, here in Erevin, it says clearly that that's not the case. That Ibn Shimon argues in both cases. Even if you left the Tchum Shabbos deliberately, on Shabbos you went out of the Tchum, as long as you're within 15 Amas, Ibn Shimon holds, you're allowed to go back into the Tchum Shabbos. Why? Because you didn't really leave the Tchum. Even though Ibn Shimon says initially you shouldn't. You have to stay inside. But if you already left, if you're within 15 Amas, you come back. Certainly if you didn't leave, you just never arrived. So if you're within 15 Amas of the Tchum Shabbos, Ibn Shimon holds, you can go into the Tchum Shabbos. This is the meaning of Ibn Shimon's words at the end of the Pedic, the end of Maseches Erevin. That when the Chachamim, when I say that the Chachamim allowed you to go into the Tchum Shabbos, even though apparently you're violating the Halach of Tchum Shabbos. Why? Because Shabbos came, how could you go into the city? You only have 2,000 Amis. You're not part of the city's Tchum. You never made it into the Tchum of the city. So how could the Chachamim allow you? The answer is, They allowed you to go in to your own space. In other words, they're not allowing you to trespass the border and violate the border. They're allowing you to go further into your space. You know why? Because you're already in Tchum Shabbos. Because even though you're within 15 Amas from the Tchum, you're outside of the Tchum, but since it's within 15 Amas of the Tchum, it's Mishalach Nosnolach. They gave you permission to move around in your own space. They're not giving you permission to violate and trespass a boundary that doesn't belong to you. That's not what they're doing. Mishalach Nosnolach. And the reason is because we at least have a doubt that perhaps... You're in the Tchum Shabbos. Can we be sure that you're in the Tchum Shabbos? Not necessarily. As the Me'iri says, it wasn't always exactly 15. We assume that it was approximately 15. It could have been a little more. It sometimes could have been less. But there's a doubt that maybe it's your space. And therefore the Chachamim were lenient. And they allowed you to go back into the Tchum Shabbos. And therefore you could go the 2,000 Amis all the way to the city and be in the city for Shabbos. Let's see Rashi. Rashi. Yikones. See? That's what Abshimen means. The Chachamim allowed you, they allowed you to come back. They were giving you your own space. They were allowing you to come back because you're still in your Tchum. If you really left the Tchum Shabbos, they wouldn't let you come back. But they're giving you they're giving you this ability to come back. Why? So as Rashi says, Because you're still on the Tchum. Reb Shimon is saying, why is he saying this? He's saying, don't think I'm being lenient on Shabbos. I'm not being lenient on Shabbos. I believe in Tchum Shabbos. If you left the Tchum, you left the Tchum, you can't go back. You have a different Tchum. My issue is, he never left at home. They made a mistake. The markers are in the wrong place. It's from, it's, it, 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 you know, I'm giving you your own. I'm not giving you, I'm not taking money. It's like, I'm not taking money, like I'll say, I'm not taking money from somebody else and giving it to you. I'm giving you back what you own. It's just yours. I'm letting you come back, right, into the tchum that you still are in. That's what the Shimon is saying. So, now we understand what Ibn Shimon means. He's justifying and rationalizing and explaining what he said a few chapters ago. That's what he's doing. I'll ask, why here? Okay. Then Gemara continues. What's this about? 
Hey, what is this about? Earlier, earlier, there was an argument in Gemara. Let's say a Ben Levi is playing the harp on Shabbos. In the Beis HaMikdosh they had music, symphonies every day. They had vocalists and they had musicians, even on Shabbos. And therefore, a levy could be playing a harp on Shabbos. And what happens if a chord snaps? Nimas kino It snaps, it breaks. What's the halacha? Tanakama said, he's allowed to tie it. He's allowed to tie it even on Shabbos. Reb Shimon said, Oinva, you're only allowed to make a bow. You can't tie it, you have to make a bow. That's what Reb Shimon says. Koshra, Tanakama, you're allowed to tie it. Some say what Tanakama means is that, yeah, Mamish even allowed to make a permanent knot on Shabbos. So Rashi says, other Rishonim say it doesn't mean a permanent knot, it means you're allowed to make a regular knot, but you have in mind that it's not permanent, and since it's not permanent, so therefore it's not a biblical prohibition. Even though you may forget and you leave it as permanent, but they allowed it in the Beis HaMikdash. Reb Shimon says, no, 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 no knot whatsoever. You make a bow. You make a bow. That's what Reb Shimon says earlier in the Gemara of Kuvbeis. So the Gemara says, Ani Shimon is now again justifying his position. When I make a bow on Shabbos, it could never bring to a biblical prohibition where I'm going to have to bring a carbon chatas. You know why? Because a bow could never be a biblical prohibition. It's not called a knot. But if you let him make a knot, what can happen? He may make a knot. And even if it's an impermanent knot, but what happens if he makes a knot and he leaves it there? He leaves it there. So then, it's a biblical prohibition. So therefore, the Rabbanon don't allow it. So even though making a bow, according to the Pshimen, is also not allowed to, but it's only a rabbinical prohibition. And therefore, the Beis HaMikdash, he says you can do it, because in Shuz B'Mikdash, the Beis HaMikdash, they allowed most rabbinical prohibitions. They weren't strict about rabbinic prohibitions. But a knot, a regular knot, not a bow, which can bring you to a biblical prohibition, it can bring you to one. Because even according to Rashi, they're allowed to do it. According to Tanakam, nonetheless, you may do it outside of the Beis HaMikdash, etc. So therefore, the Chachamim did not allow it. So Rabbi Shimon is explaining, that the heter of making a bow is only because it's a Shvus. And in the Beis HaMikdash, you can do a Shvus. But a knot, which may not be a Shvus, even though you're doing an impermanent knot, so it is a Shvus, but it can bring to a Dairai, so that we're not going to allow in the Beis HaMikdash. Sorry, sorry. So Rashi says, Kaishra, Benimas we're talking about the cord of a harp that was snapped. Reb Shimon explains the reason why only a bow and not a nut. So Reb Shimon is here explaining two arguments. The first words, Mishalach Nosnalach is talking about his explanation why you're allowed to go back into the Tchum, and the second one is about you're only allowed to make a bow for the court. And this is what Shimon is saying. Even though when it comes to leaving the Tchum Shabbos over there, I was Mr. Lenient, because I said that even if you left the Tchum Shabbos, as long as you're within 15 Amas from the Tchum Shabbos, you could come back. So I'm lenient, 
Nonetheless, by the cord of the harp, I am stringent. I'll explain to you why. Over there, I'm lenient because I told you they made a mistake. They just let him come back to the tchum because he never left the tchum. He's still in his tchum, so it's not a problem. But here, making a knot, that's a very serious issue. It can bring to an iser, so therefore, don't say, why am I lenient here and stringent here? I'll explain to you. Over there, it's Mishalach Nosalach. It's not a big deal. But over here, I only allow a bow because a bow is a rabbinic prohibition. But a knot could be biblical or it can lead to a biblical prohibition and therefore, I do not allow it. This concludes the Masechta Eduvin, the way Rashi explains it. Now, Let's try to analyze this for a moment because there is something very strange. Rip Shimon suddenly, at the end of the last mission, introduces two statements. One is Mishanlach Nasnalach, and one is, and one is Mishanlach Nasnalach, and the other one is what? That Loi Tirulach Ella Mishum Shvos. Two statements he introduced. The question is, what's the connection between these two statements that Rip Shimon feels that he has to explain why he's stringent by the harp, even though he's lenient by the Tchum Shabbos. They're completely two different halachas. It's not like if Shimon is talking about the same topic, and he's lenient, and then he suddenly becomes stringent, so he has to explain the distinction. One Mishnah is at the end of chapter 4, talking about Tchum Shabbos. This Mishnah here is talking about the harp in the Beis HaMikdash, making a knot. What's the connection between the two? That Rabbi Shimon suddenly has to remind himself, say, by the way, by the harp, I'm stringent. I, by Tchum Shabbos, I'm lenient. Because it's a whole different... Maybe Rabbi Shimon should start discussing every time he's lenient and every time he's stringent in any topic and then explain why here he's lenient, here he's stringent. We don't have that in Shas. The reason is it's two different creatures. It's two different realities. And yet Rabbi Shimon feels over here when he's talking about the Kinar, he has to bring in something from six chapters ago because it looks like a contradiction. Why does it look like a contradiction? It's like two completely different halachas. It's not like he's being lenient and stringent in the same topic. It's completely two different halachas. It's difficult to understand. Very difficult to understand. And, and that's why, and that's why he brings something from six chapters ago which completely doesn't belong here. And it suddenly appears at the end of a mission about Sheretz. Which brings us to another question. How does it come in at the end of this Mishnah? Why is it here at the end of this Mishnah about Sheretz? It should be at the end of the Mishnah about the harp. When we spoke about the harp that was interrupted, the Mishnah actually doesn't bring the view of Rib Shimon, but the Brisa brings the view of Rib Shimon. So over there, the Gemara, or the Mishnah, or the Brisa could bring what Rib Shimon said. It's a very strange thing. Over there where he speaks about it, it doesn't bring what Rib Shimon says. Suddenly here we're talking about a Sheretz in the Beis HaMikdash, completely disconnected to the harp. We suddenly bring what Rib Shimon says about six chapters ago, Erev Tchumen, and then also about the harp in the Beis Hamidrash, which is not even this Mishnah. Toysvah says, the last Toysvah in Masechus Erev, and Toysvah says the reason it doesn't say in that Mishnah is because the Gemara felt the Mishnah wanted to finish all the halachas connected to the Beis Hamikdash, because these Mishnahs discuss different halachas in the Beis Hamikdash versus outside of the Beis Hamikdash, and then explain what Reb Shimon says after we finished all the ideas of the Beis HaMikdash. That's what Taisva says. That's why we wait. We wait till the end. But, but even, even if that's the case, you didn't want to interrupt the halachas of the Beis HaMikdash, it should have been a separate Mishnah. The fact that it's in this Mishnah with Sheretz seems like it's connected to the Sheretz. But it's not. Completely not. It's connected to a previous Mishnah about Nimas Kinner. So it should be in a separate Mishnah. 
if you don't want to put it over there in that Mishnah where it belongs, put it in a separate Mishnah. The fact, the fact that it's, uh, that it's in the Mishnah of Sharetz, it seems like it's connected to this Mishnah. If you, if you don't want to, if you don't want to put it, if you don't, if you could put it either in the Mishnah about Tchumen, about Chum Shabbos, or in the Mishnah about Nimas Kinner, yeah, or at least close to them, not in a Mishnah that's completely a different topic. Completely a different topic. There's also another question. Taisva says that Mishalach Nasnu Lach and Lo Yitiru Lach Ela Mishum Shvuz. The last Taisus of Masech Te'edavin. Taisva says that Mishalach Nasnu Lach is actually the same thing. What Reb Shimon is saying: the reason I'm lenient by Erevin is the reason I'm stringent by Nimas Kinner, because basically the rabbis only allow things that are prohibited by the rabbis. In the words of Taisva. The rabbis are not being lenient. It's Mishalach Nostalach. You're in the Tchum Shabbos. They let you be in the Tchum Shabbos. And here also, they let you do a bow because a bow is not biblically prohibited. In other words, it's the same point. I'm lenient here and I'm stringent here for the very same reason because the rabbis allow you to do things that are not problematic biblically. If that's the case... According to Toysvis, why does Rabbi Shimon repeat this idea in two different statements and in two different sentences and in a completely different way? He could have just said, And that's it. Because that explains both halachas, the halachas of Tchumen and the halachas of the cord of the kinner that was, that was snapped. Why does Rabbi Shimon have to add, What was the wrong with the first statement? Especially the Mishnah, we know the Rambam says, is always brief and concise. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe proposed an explanation. And in order to appreciate the explanation, we have to explore a question that pervades halachic thinking throughout much of Shas. And the question is really one that expresses itself in many different areas in life. What trumps what? Echos or kamos? Echos means quality. Kamos means quantity. If I have a lot of quantity, but it comes at the expense of quality, is that superior to something which is of better quality, but of less quantity? Let me give a classic example. It's the Rebbe's example. He once did a Hadrin HaMesechis, Hoiris and Chayris, and he discussed this. The original Chira comes from Rabbi Yosef Engel. Rabbi Yosef Engel was one of the great Goyenim of Poland. He passed away, I think, in 1921, Tofish the Rav of Bendin, Bendin, Rabbi Yosef Engel, one of the Ga'ine Hadar. And he wrote many svarim, many, many svarim. There's a machin now, a friend of mine here in Muncie, has a machin to, to publish all of the svarim of Rabbi Yosef Engel, because many of them were never published. He gave me an amazing svarim. Rabbi Engel was, was an exceptional god. He has a sefer called Lekach Toiv. In Lekach Toiv, Klal, Tesvav, Tezayin, that zip code, he discusses the question of Echus versus Kamos and Halach. He gives a lot of examples. I'll give you one example that I heard from the Rebbe. He doesn't bring it in Lekach Toiv. Uh, the end of Masechus Hayriz. The end of Masechus Hayriz, the Gemara tells a story. Shalchul Taman. They asked, they, they, they sent a question from Eretz Yisrael. They sent a question. Sinai v'ekeharim mi'adif. If you have to choose a leader, a mentor, a teacher, should you choose a Sinai or an Eikeharim? Sinai is somebody who's like Mount Sinai. He knows everything. He knows quantity, but he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, have the depth. He doesn't master it all the way to its core. 
He's a, what's called a bucky. It's tremendous knowledge. He can quote from everywhere and he has it organized. Rashi says this. Durin Kinesinasa Messina. Oiker Harim is somebody who can uproot mountains, including Harsina. <laughs> he can uproot the mountain, meaning you give him an idea and he knows how to uproot it and question it and refute it and therefore go one step deeper and then yet deeper and deeper and deeper. Which quality would you say trumps in a teacher? Sina, somebody who has encyclopedic knowledge, or Oiker Harim? It's a question of quantity versus quality. Another example, one search from the Rebbe, he was making a siyam on Rosh Hashanah. Gemara in Brachas Dav Chavches. Fascinating Gemara. Rem Gamliel was the leader of the Sanhedrin. He had a policy. If your inside was not like your outside, you can't go into the Beis Medrash. In other words, he only accepted Kerem Dala Kerem. Wasn't only you were a good student. You had to be completely worked out on the inside. Rabbi Gamliel was dethroned because of a whole story with Rabbi Yeshua, Mesechis Brachas, Dav Chavzayin, Agan Samayset, Philosophers, Rishos. Who did they put in as a leader in lieu of Reb Gamliel? The young 18-year-old Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. What's the first thing he did? He got rid of the security guard. He got rid of the restrictions. He got rid of the security by the Besmedish and he says, whoever wants could come learn. And what happened? That day, the benches, the chairs in the Besmedish filled up. One opinion is there were 400 students. Another opinion, 800 students. Gamliel felt very bad. He felt very bad that he prevented so much terror from the Jewish people. What was the argument? And the Gemara tells us a story. Gamliel had a dream to comfort him, but it was only to appease him. What was the argument? Quantity versus quality. Gamliel felt, I'll have a small crowd, I'll have a small yeshiva, but the quality, best of the best. The main thing is quality. I in quantity, you're going to have to have few, that's fine. Quality trumps quantity. Eichus Machriya Kamas. Rebelezer ben Azariah had the opposite approach. He said, no, I know if I let everybody in, I'm not going to have the same level yeshiva. I'm not going to have the same minds, the same hearts, the same souls. But the kamas, the quantity, is so much more important than the eichus. Let's change the subject. Aran, Rabbeinu Nissen, Meseches Yuma. Rabbeinu Nisan Mesechis Yuma. And it's discussed in Shulchan Aruch, El Cheshabbos, Erechayim, Shin Chavchas. Fascinating question. Somebody is deathly ill. The person needs meat. They need to meet meat through the doctor's orders. The problem is the only meat that's available is, let's say, horse meat. Or non-kosher meat. So here's the option. You can give him to eat the meat. Pikuach Nefesh. You're allowed to eat treif. To save a life, you can violate most of the Torah. Should we do that? Or maybe no. Let's get a shaykhet. Let him slaughter a kosher cow. And we will serve him kosher meat. What's the difference? The difference is as follows. If he eats the horse meat, every kazayas, every volume of an olive, he transgresses a lav in the Torah. If he eats ten kazaisen, he committed ten sins. He was allowed to be kosher nefesh, but he committed ten sins. If he shechts a kosher cow, he's going to eat kosher meat. So it's fine. So it's fine. So it's a no-brainer, but there's a big difference. Because Shechita on Shabbos is an Isra Skila. Shechita on Shabbos is, has potentially death penalty. If there's witnesses, if there's warning. Isra Nevela, eating a Nevela is love. It's an Isra Malkus. It's not an Isra Mrs. Besden. It's no death penalty for eating treif. For eating non-kosher meat, for eating Nevela, it's a love. You're not allowed to do it. 
But it's not an issue skill. What trumps quantity or quality? If we say quality transcends quantity, in other words, even if the quantity is less, but we follow quality, that's the main thing. So then which one should you choose? You should give him to eat the nevela, the non-kosher meat. Because even though in quantity he's doing 10 sins, but it's 10 sins of a lower quality. But if you say that quality trumps quantity, if you say quantity trumps quality, then shech the kosher meat. Shech the kosher animal. Why? Because even though it's an iser of Mrs. Besden, but it's one iser. It's only one. True, it's a much more stringent iser. The quality of the iser is much more stringent. The echos is much more intense, but the echos is much more intense, but the kamos is going to be only one. Versus if you give him the non-kosher meat, there's going to be ten averis. Better do one aver than ten averis, even though the one is more powerful. But ten beats one. Ten beats one. There's a question that's brought in Svarim. <laughs> Interesting question. Avramavinu, tell Sarah, tell them you're my sister. Why? If you tell them you're my wife, they'll kill me. Because they want you for Parah. So Parah will kill me. So you can marry you. If you tell them you're my sister, doesn't have to kill me. So the question is, one second. Why does he have to kill Avramavinu to take Sarah? Let him take Sarah. Even if Avram is alive, the answer is, Parah is a from guy. <laughs> he doesn't want to marry an Ish. He doesn't want to marry a woman who's married. It's pasnished. So you got to kill the husband. One second. If you're such a from guy, you don't want to be with a married woman. So why are you not from enough not to murder somebody? What's Avram Avinu think? Avram Avinu is making a cheshben for Parah. Kill me, he'll kill me. Why will he kill me? Because he doesn't want to marry Sarah when, she, when she's married. Why not? Because you're not supposed to. So why will he kill me? So one of the explanations is that Avram was saying that Pare was thinking to himself, murder is a one-time sin. One-time, very big sin. Shvich is dama. But then, the woman is permitted. She's a widow. But if she's married and he doesn't kill Avram Avinu, then every single time he's with her is an Isra of Gilead Arias. What trumps what? <laughs> What trumps what? Is it the quantity or the quality? The Lekech Tov brings a lot of more examples to prove different directions in Shas. Yeah? I'll give you an example from the Lekech Tov. Another very interesting example. Let me ask you a question. If you have, you want to give $100,000 for tzedakah, yeah. do you give it to one institution or one person who desperately needs it and you change their whole life? Or you say, no, I'll give $1,000 to 100 people. Well, I'll give $500 to 200 people now. $500 is not going to make a big difference. But the quantity trumps the quality. Yeah, the quality is not, you know, you're not doing a major contribution, you know, or remaking their life. But the quantity, you gave 200 people's DACA. Or you say, no, the quality. You gave one person, one institution, or two, or three, or four. And that's what's Gaiver. That's the question. Rabbi Yosef Engel quotes a mission in Ovis, Peri Gimel, So the Rambam says yeah, that to give a hundred times tzedakah, each time you give, say, uh, a nickel, each time you give a quarter, a hundred times, is better than giving all those in one shot to a poor person. Why? Why? So he says, Ribuyai spilus adif mi spilus. 
Doing a good thing many, many times, you gave tzedakah a hundred distinct times, is greater than giving one big time tzedakah, even though you're giving much more. He says, you see, quantity is more powerful than quality. You know, there's a question today in psychology, they talk about trauma a lot. Yeah, There's a trauma person has something in their life that is traumatic. They could look at it and say, this was a traumatic event. It was a dramatically traumatic event. But something is a different type of trauma. And that is kamos, not echos. If you identify it, nothing happened. But it happened over and over and over. Day in, day out, week after week, month after month. Which one is more powerful? It's not so clear. They used to think there's an identifiable trauma that this person endured Obviously, there's a serious situation. But today, they're realizing that's not the case. Yes, that is the case. But sometimes, you know, that, 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 little, that little bit of trauma that's accumulated, the cumulative power of quantity, even though it's not quality, if you, take, if you pluck out each one in a vacuum, it doesn't seem so dramatic. But the cumulative effect, one and another and another and another, makes a dent. Like Rabbi Akiva speaks about, right? He saw the, the, the drops of water. And after years and years and years, it made that dent in the rock. Was it a big rush of water? Was it a ferocious, a ferocious flood of water? No. But it's the cumulative power of quantity, of kamas. I'll give you another very interesting example. And then we'll, we'll move on. Also from Rabbi Yosef Engel. Seiras yachid koidemes lekifsas yachid. If you have an individual did an Aveira, he has to bring a carbon chatos. Bring a carbon chatos. Aveira b'shayv, bring a carbon chatos. What does he bring? He can bring either a female sheep or a female goat, a kifsa or a sira. So the Heirah Yisid Gimel tells us you have two carbonas, two people bring. One brought a female goat for a carbon chatos, the other one a female sheep. The goat comes first. Asks the Gemara, the Brisa says, no. The sheep comes first. The female sheep comes first. The ewe comes first. So Abayah says, it's an argument. It's tanoyim, and I'll explain to you why. The first Tano holds a female goat is superior and therefore gets precedence. You know why? Because when somebody worships idolatry inadvertently, they have to bring a female goat, not a sheep. So we see from here that a female goat has more, greater spiritual power for atonement. All other sins that you do inadvertently and they have to bring a chatos, you can bring a goat or a sheep. But by Avodah which is considered the cardinal sin of Judaism, there you got to bring a goat. So that's the shit of this Tana. The other Tana holds, the female sheep comes first. You know why? Because by a sheep, the halacha is that even the aliyah, the fatty tail, is also offered on the altar and it's consumed in the flames. By a goat, you don't put the tail. The tail doesn't go on the mezbeach. What's the argument? Says the lekech This is the argument. By a sheep, the mezbeach eats up much more of the animal. Because there's a fatty tail besides the other fat that you offer on the mezbeach. So he says... When you're looking at quality, the sheep's quality is greater than the, the, sorry, the goat's quality is greater than the sheep. Why? 
because there's something about the goat that has a spiritual power that the sheep doesn't have. And I'll prove it to you. Even for the sin of idolatry, it can atone. The sheep can't. Sheep can atone for lighter sins. But for the serious heavyweights, for Avodah Zari, you need a goat. This means that in Eichos, the goat has a prominence, it has a chshivas, it has a spiritual significance to it that the sheep doesn't have. Therefore, if you look at Eichos, the goat trumps. So the goat comes first. But if you look at Kamos, the carbon that's going to Hashem, where is there more of a carbon? So the sheep and the goat may be more or less same in size. But by the sheep, you bring more onto the Mezbeach. So in terms of quantity, the sheep is a bigger carbon than the goat. So therefore, he holds that the sheep comes first. The, the, the words of the Lekech Toiv, Hakif Sayesh Lamailis, Ribui Hakamus, Shamis Beach, Oichel Mimena, Yoisim Ashechel Menasira, Gamal Yosekrev. On the other hand, Siira Yesh Lamaila, Echusis Al Kifsa, Bamesha Beshigigas Akum, Ain Bekoya Hakifsa Lechaper. By a Shaygo of the Zora, the Kevis doesn't have the Koyach for Kapora. Rak hasiira levada hide mechaperes vareizu plukte besvaras haran hanal iribu hakamos machrias eichos. This is the same machlokes what we spoke before from the Ran. The question: If we serve the chayla on a even though there's many isurim because because the isur is less and eichos is machria kamos, or better, we serve what? We serve the kosher cow because kamos is machria eichos. Numbers matter. In fact, the halach and shulchan aruch is that you shech the kosher cow. Instead of feeding the horse meat, you shech the kosher Even though shechita is an isra skila, but you shech that. So it's a proof from there that what? That kamos machria echos. And that's why you don't want chilul shabbos in kamos, you would rather chilul shabbos in echos. It's not mamash a clear ayah because the Rishonim give other reasons why. Famous reason because a Jew, he may get disgusted from non kosher meat, a Jew gets disgusted from non kosher meat. And other reasons, there's the reason from that's the reason from the Rosh, another reason from the Raivet. Two ways of looking at things. Kamos and Eichos. What's Machriya? What's Machriya in life? Kamos or Eichos? And as the Lekech Toif says, you see in Shas, different ways, different perspectives. When it comes to Sinai and Eikaharim, the answer was Sinai Adif. The Baki is Adif. Rebelazah ben Azariah, the verdict was like him. Let all the Talmudim into the base Medrash. So over there you see constantly that Kamos is Machriya Eichos. You see here by the sheep and the goat, there's different perspectives. the Rambam. You see again that Kamos has a power over Eichos. If this is the case, says the Rebbe, let's come back to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah, the last, last Mishnah of Masech Te'edevin, has something so perplexing. The Mishnah speaks about a Sheretz, and then suddenly it diverts and goes off to Reb Shimon. And at first glance, the theme of Reb Shimon is completely, completely disconnected. Unless we take it one step deeper. What's the argument between Rabbi Yechonah ben Broike and Rabbi Yehuda about the Sheretz? What's the difference if I take it out with my belt, or I take it out with my wooden tongues? So the Gemara explains, if I take it out with my belt, the Tumah was removed immediately, but it grew from being located in the Sheretz, it now traveled also to my Gartel. So now you have the Sheretz's Tumah now impacted the outside world in an intense way. The Tumah has grown. If I take it out with wooden tongues, the Tumah may have remained much longer in the Beis HaMikdash, maybe another 10 minutes, maybe another half an hour, maybe another two hours, depends when you found the wooden tongues, because they not, were not necessarily available. However, 
the tumma did not grow because the wooden tongues are not makabel tumma. What's the logic of that machlek? Rabbi Yechonah ben Breker says the main thing is loy lahashes esatuma. Rabbi Yehuda says the main thing is loy laharbois esatuma. What's the argument? Stam an argument? No. This is a general principle that pervaded their perspectives. What is more important in the world of halacha? Kamos or echos? Rabbi Yechonah ben Breker says the main thing is shloy lahashes esatuma. The fact that the tumma grows. The tumma goes beyond itself. The tumma blossoms. It affects also the avnate, which is also tameh. Yes, we would have rather, we would have preferred that not to have, not to have that, but better to have that than to keep the tumma longer in the beis hamikdash, because even though the tumma is not going to grow, but nonetheless, the fact that it's going to remain for another ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes in the beis hamikdash is much less desirable. Kamos is machriyechus. That's the opinion of Yechonah and Brek. Rabbi Yehuda has a different opinion. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, I don't agree. Eichos is machriya kamos. Even if you can get rid of the tumor right away. But how are you going to get rid of the tumor right away? By making the tumor grow. The tumor is going to grow. It's going to be zich mispashed. It's going to have a hashpa. It's going to create something else that's tummy. And therefore, rather, let the tumor remain longer in the base Hamikdash, even though even though that means in kamos, in quantity, the tumor remains, instead of five minutes, it remains for 20 minutes. But it's much better to have that and use wooden tongues than to get rid of the tumor immediately but have the tumor grow. So we have here two perspectives. One, one shit is kamos machria echos, and one shit is echos machria kamos. If this is the case, now we'll understand very well the, the, the connection to the pshimen. Let's talk about the chord of a keynote of a harp that was snapped. I'm a Levi, I'm a Ben Levi, I'm playing the harp on Shabbos, and the chord breaks, it snaps. What happens now? Tanakama says, tie it, it snapped, tie it back. Don't make a permanent, make a knot, a good knot. Of course, don't have in mind that this should be a permanent knot forever, because then it's a biblical violation. But make a knot. I maybe you're going to leave it there because it's good already. Nobody will bother fixing it and it's going to remain permanent. Okay, but you're allowed to do it in the Beis HaMikdash. So I told you Rashi even holds you're allowed to make a biblical knot, a permanent knot in the Beis HaMikdash. Koshra. Rib Shimon says, no, make a bow. Make a, I, Rib Shimon, holds a bow is forbidden. He says it's a shvus. You're right, but in the Beis HaMikdash, I'm allowing you make, I'm, I'm letting you make a bow. A bow is not biblical. It can't be biblical. Even if you have in mind that you want to leave it there permanently, it can't be biblical because by definition, a bow is an impermanent knot. It's not something that endures for eternity. It's not a kesher shel kayom. If you remember, the end of Masechus Shabbos is all about this. We did to see him on Shabbos at length. Kesher, what a kesher is. It's not a kesher shel kayom. As Reb Shimon says, it's fine. Now, let's think about this in terms of kamos and echos. There's an advantage in making a knot. There's an advantage in making a bow. What's the advantage in making a knot? And what's the disadvantage in making a knot? What's the advantage in making a bow? What's the disadvantage in making a bow? Let's think about this. The problem in making a knot is, there's a very big disadvantage. It can bring l'deichi of chatas. If I make a knot, yeah, it's very possible that the levy who's knotting it makes a good and tight knot, you know, like a, let's say a double knot or a triple knot, so it holds very tight. And you know what? If he decides that this is a good knot, let it stay there. This is a biblical kesher. 
That's a very serious Isser. It's one of the Avos Malachis. It's an Isser skill. It's a Chi of Chattas. So it's a very serious type of Isser, if he does it that way. That's the disadvantage in Kshira. What's the advantage in a bow? The advantage in a bow is it could never be a biblical prohibition. I don't care what you're thinking. This bow is not permanent. At worst, at, at most, it's a, it's a rabbinic prohibition, but not more. That's the gewaldic advantage in a bow versus a nut. But one second. Let's think for a moment from the other perspective. Is there a disadvantage in a bow versus a nut? Yes, there is a disadvantage in a bow versus a nut, and I'll tell you why. A knot holds, that's why it could be permanent. So once this lady ties this knot on Shabbos, right? Shabbos morning, it's gonna stay. It's a good knot, it's gonna stay. Let's hope that Mitzayi Shabbos, he'll undo it, so it shouldn't be a permanent knot. But it's gonna stay. A bow, why is a bow only rabbinic at best, according to the Pshimah? Some say it's not, but according to the Pshimah, why is a bow rabbinic? Why? Why can't it be biblical? The answer is because it's completely not permanent. Sooner or later, it's going to be undone. It's not going to last. If that's the case, it's very likely, or at least there's a very strong possibility that on Shabbos it's going to be undone and you're going to have to do the bow again. And it may happen again. And it may happen again. So here we have the same question. What wins? What's, what's more important, Kamos or Echos? If we look at Echos as more important than Kamos, so then I say, you know what? I don't care if you make ten bows on Shabbos, <laughs> but it's 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 rabbinics. It's rabbinics. It's ten bows. I don't care. Yes, it's ten versus one knot. But come on, how could you compare? It's apples versus Mount Everest. You can't compare it. Not apples and oranges. So therefore, make ten bows. Or you say, no, 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 no. A bow is a rabbinic prohibition. Better make one knot, even though making a knot. In quality is more problematic than making a bow because it could bring with a chi of chattas, but it's a one-time act. Get it over with and you're done. I, in quality, it's more serious or it could be more serious. A bow can't get that serious. True, but maybe ten bows versus one knot. The knot should win because kamos is more important than echas or is echas more important than kamos? So the same question we had by the sheretz, we have by the nimas kinner, kamos or echas. Now, let's go to the Tchum Shabbos. It's exactly the same question. Let's understand this. Chazal tell us, and it's it's a born in Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchaseiru, mitzvah lecha lachzeh benachir vichatzeiru is benachir shetufim mevayus. Simen shin sadekay in Torah and Shulchan Aruch. It's a mitzvah to make an erev chatzeirus. It's a mitzvah to make a shetufim mevayus. It's a mitzvah to allow people to carry in more places. Why? So the Mefarshim explained the prisha the Beis Yosef. It's part of Einik Shabbos. I could take a walk in the courtyard. I can go eat by a neighbor. We can eat together outside. It's part of Einig Shabbos. When somebody left, left town, it comes Shabbos, and they're outside of the Tchum. They're outside of the Tchum. We all understand this is going to compromise their Einig Shabbos. Because they can't be in the city. They can't be at home. They can't be in anybody else's home. Mitzad Oynik Shabbos, the place to be on Shabbos is in the border of the city, the Tchumayir. So that you could go walk around in the whole city, in the whole village. You can even go 2,000 Amas from each direction outside of the city. On the other hand, if Friday night you dwelled, you made your Tchum outside of the border of the city, and now you have 2,000 Amas in one direction, you're extremely limited. You're limited where you can go, what you can, even if you have a meal. I'm not talking about if you're going to starve. Even if you have a meal. But you can't compare a bed, 
a couch, company, shul, ashir, family. You can't compare it. You can't compare. If we say you have to make a ruve chatseris because of Oynik, it's a mitzvah to make a ruve chatseris. It doesn't mean it's an obligation. When it's no obligation. But it's a mitzvah, meaning it's, it, it's a very good thing to do. It's something that's highly, highly encouraged by Chazal. Why? Even though you have a house, you don't have to eat outside with your neighbor, but it increases Dayanik Shab. Certainly you understand that if you don't even have a house, you're outside in the wilderness, certainly it's not the Dayanik Shabbos like being in the Tchum Shabbos. So somebody who left the Tchum, if he can get back, back into the Tchum Shabbos, there's actually an element of a mitzvah here. It, 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 it's the right thing to do. It's not just permission. It's the right thing to do. Because if you're not going to go back into the Tchum of Shabbos, your Oynik Shabbos will be seriously compromised, if not significantly obliterated. If so, comes Reb Shimon and says, Kamus trumps Echos. Even if Kamus means less quality, it's still more powerful than greater quality with less quantity. Reb Shimon says, if you went out of the Tchum Shabbos, even though there's a serious issue here, and the issue here is if you go back in, you may be violating the problem of Tchum Shabbos. Because even though Reb Shimon said that the marker is not accurate, but as the Mepharshim explained, it may be accurate, it may not be accurate. It may be accurate, it's till 14 Amas, till 13 Amas, till 12 Amas. In other words, we're not sure. You may be violating the problem of Tchum Shabbos. So even though, Reb Shimon says, even though, by going into the Tchum Shabbos, you may, you may not, because they, it's not accurate, but you may be violating the Indian of Tchum Shabbos. And how are you doing it? Through Kum Vaseh. You're doing an act. You're going into Tchum Shabbos. What's the alternative? The alternative is, just stay in your spot. Stay in your spot, sleep there. You'll have a lot of time to think. <laughs> Maybe if you brought a book, so you also have a book to read, or a sefer to learn. Maybe you can finish Masechta Erev in there. But you're not going to be doing an active thing. You'll be passive. So what should Trump what? I would say, let him stay. That's what Tanakhama says. Tanakhama says, he's there, let him be there. Don't, put, don't bring him back into the Tchum. Nonetheless, Reb Shimon says, go back in, even though this is a Kum Vaseh versus a Sheval Tasa, because if he stays outside, he's staying outside. He's not doing anything. He's not having the full Oynik Shabbos, okay? But he's not actively doing something that's an Isser. Here, he may be actively doing an Isser. So there's a choice. Comes Reb Shimon and says, yes, I don't care. Let him go back into the Tchum. You know why? Because if I keep him outside every single moment of Shabbos, he's losing Oynik Shabbos. If he goes in, even if it was the wrong thing to do, it's one moment. It's one moment. So even though going in is a much more serious violation of a rabbinic Isra Shabbos than staying outside, nonetheless I say go in and don't stay outside because going in is one moment. You'll go into the Tchum and it's over. And staying outside is going to be for the next 24 hours. And Kamas wins over Eichas. In other words, if I can do something, if I can violate an Isra, and the quality of the issue is more serious, but it's going to be one moment. And my alternative is, I violate an issue that's of much lesser quality, but in quantity, it's more, it's longer. The accumulativeness, the accumulation of quantity trumps quality. And therefore, the Pshimon says, go back in to the Tchum Shabbos, unlike Tanakam. Maybe Tanakama doesn't even argue. Tanakama just says that the Rabbanon are not really arguing. Maybe they also hold that Kamos is Machriyechus. They just hold that the markers were very, very accurate. And because the markers were very, very accurate, therefore, you can't do it. Because the Chacham are not going to let him violate the Isra of Tchumen. Here, it's a, it's a suffix, so they let him do it. So it could be that Tanakama is not even arguing. 
If this is the case, we have here in this Mishnah three situations that are all dependent on Kamos and Eichas. So it all fits beautifully. The Sheretz, Rabbi Yechim, Rabbi Yechim, Rabbi Yehuda, Kamos or Eichas. Tchumen, Kamos or Eichas. If you say Eichas wins, Eichas is more important, let him stay outside. Rabbi Shimon says Kamos is more important, he should go inside. Because if he stays outside, every moment is a bit of Einik Shabbos. If he goes in, one moment of Isra Tchum, perhaps. So Kamos wins Eichos. In the case of Nimas Kinner, same question. If Eichos wins Kamos, if Eichos is more important than Kamos, then what do you say? Do a nivet, don't do kshira. If Kamos is more important than Eichos, I would rather you do a kshira, even though it could be more stringent, rather than doing aniva, 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 aniva. So in all three situations in this mission, we have this question of Kamos versus Eichos. So it's not those disjointed issues that Mishnah suddenly starts talking about Chumen and, and Nimas Kinnah. It's disconnected to the Sheretz. It's connected to this theme. But for this, we have to go to the Pnimias of the Machlaikas. If we look at the argument from a superficial point of view, it's Sheretz, it's Chumen, it's Kinas Nimr. If we look at the Machlaikas from a deeper thematic point of view, it's a Machlaikas about Kamas versus Echos. So therefore, it's clear that the Mishnah has a joint theme. But now we have a big problem. What's the problem? If Reb Shimon holds that Kamos trumps Eichos, and that's why you shouldn't stay outside, like Tanakami, you should go back into the Tchum Shabbos, then what should he hold by the harp? By the harp he should have the same Svara. That what? You should do the Kshira, not the Aniva. Because Kamos is more important than Eichos. Let him do one Isra Kshira, rather than many Isra Aniva. This is now the problem. So Reb so so Shimon comes and tells you, Reb Shimon comes and tells you, and explains to you what he's thinking. So now we'll understand the connection of these two statements, and why he has to say two different statements, and why it comes into this Mishnah, and why one is connected to the other one, even though it's six chapters earlier. Because it's not about Chum Shabbos and Nimas Kinner. It's about Kamos and Eichos. So once you get a bird's eye view of Torah and you start seeing the inner theme, then I don't care if it's six chapters ago. I have to talk about it here because I have a, I have a, a serious contradiction. Nimas Kinner is contradicting Eruv Tchumen, even though it's two separate halachas. It's not just here I was stringent, here I was lenient. There's a lot of Mishnahs where the Shimon is stringent in one area and in another area. Here it's the same issue, Kamos and Eichos, and he's contradicting himself. In one situation, he's doing Kamos versus Eichos. Kamos wins over Eichos by, by Tchumen, and by Nimas Kinner, Eichos wins over Kamos. It's not fair. This is already a problem. This is a problem. You're typhus. The Hebra typhus. So the Shimon has to explain. So what does he explain? So he says, so the Shimon says, don't compare. By aid of Tchumen, by, not by, by Tchumen, I was Mekel, because I didn't want Kamos. That's true. By the Kinner, Amachmir, Amachmir, that you shouldn't do Kshira. Why? Why there do I want Kamos? The answer is, They were only Matir, when you're dealing with shvus, when the echos and the kamos are both shvus. Meaning, when I'm telling you that the kamos trumps the echos, it's only if they're ultimately in the same genre, in the same realm, in the same category. Either it's both an isodai raisa, or it's both an isodai rabona. For example, the sick person 
Yeah. If he eats the horse meat, it's an Issa rice. If he if they shech the cow, it's an Issa rice. It's both an Issa rice. The question is, which Issa should I choose? I say, Kamos wins Eichos. And because by eating the horse meat, it's going to be ten Issa rice, and shechting the cow is going to be one Issa rice, one I go with, and I don't want to do ten. Got it. If it's both an Issa de Rabbonon, also Kamos Machri Eichos, like by Tchumen. If I stay outside, it's not an Isidur Isa. I could stay wherever I want on Shabbos. It's a problem on a rabbinic level. It's not the complete Oynik Shabbos. Again, it's not Mamresh Achiyuf to go in, but it's a problem on a rabbinic level. Okay. Going back in is not an Isidur Isa. It's a, it's a Tchum of, of 2000 Amis. Is it the Rabbana? So the Rabbana. And here it's a Suffolk. I'm not even sure. So it's a Rabbana versus the Rabbana. I say it's a Kamus. Kamus wins. That, yeah. But lo yitiru l'chalem shvus. If the kamas and the echos are both a shvus. But in this case, by the kinner, what do you want? You want that the ribuy hakamas of an aniva, which is a dirabonon, should triumph over the echos of kshira, which could bring to a dairaisa. Sorry, that we don't do. The echos of a dairaisa trumps the kamas dirabonon. <laughs> To, to, to give maybe a simple, a very, uh, I don't know, if, uh, good example, but a very simple example. You say, what would you like more? One big zetz, <laughs> one big clap that's going to hurt, right? Or 50 small claps? Okay, it's a good question. It's a good question. Kamus or echos, right? Kamus or echos? What's worse? The accumulation of the patch, one after another, after another, nonstop, or one big one? Okay, it's a good question. Kamus or echos. But what happens... If it's not 50 small ones versus one big one. The one big one is a completely different level. It's going to, Khalila, it's going to turn the person into an invalid. Chas v'shalom. Now it's not a question anymore. Now it's not one fifth, 50 small ones versus one big one, but they're in the same genre. Here the one big one is going to destroy his life. That's what he says. It's a whole different vart. It's not if I do 10 bows, it's 10 dirabonans. If I do one knot, yeah, it's, it's more serious, it's more echos, but it's a dirabonon. That's not a vart. If I do the one knot, it can be an isr That's a different realm. It can be a nov. So even though, there's going to be more isurim in quantity, but they're going to be isurim dirabonon. The kesher, I'm talking going to do only one isr, but it's of a different genre. It's an isr And proof of this is from the very sif and shulchanaruch about the sick man who you have to serve the non-kosher meat or the kosher meat which you have to slaughter on Shabbos. The same Allah and shulchanaruch and simen shin chavches. It's over there in the Ramah and the Magen Avram and the shulchanaruch harav. Discuss another option. What if the sick person doesn't need meat? He needs wine. He needs wine. So the Allah is, if you have to have wine, so bring him wine, but you have to heat up the wine. You have to put the wine on fire and heat it up. That's what he needs for his recovery. So the halacha is, let the Jew fill up the wine and let the non-Jew warm up the wine over the fire. Ay, what's the issue? The issue here is, it's going to be an isim edivre soifrim. What's the isim edivre soifrim? The isim edivre soifrim is, it could be kosher wine, but the non-Jew is warming up the wine and handling the wine. It's called stam yena. It's not yayin esach but it's an isim so if it's an Isamidir Abanan, so let's think about this, okay? If the Jew warms up the wine, puts on the fire and warms up the wine, it's one Isa. If it's the guy warms up the wine, and you're allowed to tell a guy to do malacha for a sick person, that's not a problem. 
The guy who warms up the wine, it's Tam Yenam, which you're not allowed to drink. And every few ounces that you drink is an Isur. So why did the halacha change? Let the Jew warm up the wine. It'll be one Isur of a Jew cooking wine. But then he's drinking good wine, Jewish wine. So you say, no. <laughs> Let the guy heat up the wine, even though it's Tam Yenam. It's Asa Rabbanan. It's Yai Nesach Rabbanan. And every time you drink, every Revius is a new Isur. Why? What happened? By the cow, you told me to go to the kosher cow. Why don't you tell me here to go to the kosher wine? The answer is, because Tamienam is an Isa de Rabbanan. Here I don't say Kamos and Eichos, the same Cheshbon like before. When it was both Isurim and Atoyre, Kamos is Machriya Eichos. So better to do the Shechting than giving him non-kosher horse meat, because Kamos is Machriya Eichos. Ten Isurim and Atoyre are worse than one Isurim and Atoyre, even though that one Isur is more stringent, more Chamur. So the halacha in Shulchan Aruch is shech the kosher animal because kamos is more powerful than echos. But here, if it's not just kamos is more powerful than echos, you would have to say kamos der abonon is more powerful than echos min hatoyra. That we don't say. That we don't say. And therefore let the goy warm up the wine. The goy will warm up the wine. The goy will heat up the wine. Aitz and isr stam yeinam, fine, but we didn't do an isr min hatoyra. The Jew filled up the wine and the goy heated it up. It's fine. That's what the is saying. This halacha that we see in Shimon Shin Chavches, in Shulchan Aruch the Balatanya, the Rav Shulchan Aruch is Mazbered Barichas, in Shimon Shin Chavches Sif Tezayin. This is what the Pshimon is saying. Because it's Mishum Shvus. First he says, I was matted because it's not a real Tchum Shabbos. We're not sure it's a Tchum Shabbos, and therefore we let you come back. Then I tell you, why am I contradicting myself by Nimas Kinner? Because this heter is only shvus. But when you have a dairaisa versus a dairabonim, then we don't say this kamas versus echos. If so, we now see why it all belongs in this one Mishnah. It's connected to the theme of the Mishnah. Why the Pshimen uses both languages? Why the Pshimen suddenly connects a halacha from six chapters ago to this halacha? At Khan, the first part of the explanation of how the Lubavitcher Rebbe explained it's one point, it was, this was one point, a few minutes of the seal of explaining this Nikud in the Mishnah. Now we have to go over to the whole next section of the Siyam on Erevin, which is going to deal with the more hashkafic, spiritual, psychological dimension of Erevin. However, because of the late hour, so we'll take a break here, and Be'ezer Hashem, tomorrow Monday, tomorrow Monday, B'li Neder, 9.30 p.m., we will continue the second half of the Siyum on Erevin. Again, we're going to be dealing with the Hashkafa components of Sechta Erevin. And, uh, and I hope that you'll come back. I'm looking forward to have all of you back. Let me take some questions. If we say Safik Midaraisa Lechumra, how does Reb Shimon give permission for Tchum Shabbos? It's not Safik Midaraisa, it's a Safik Midarabonah. It's a Safik Midarabonah, yeah. What's the halach? Is kamos machriya echos? Or is echos machriya kamos? We see different shittas in shah. Sometimes we say this, sometimes we say this. I think that there are many sources. I think in quantity, there are more sources that kamos is machriya echos than echos is machriya kamos. In, 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 I think in quantity, at least, there's more sources that kamos is machriya echos. And we see in different places that that's what they accepted. But of course, we say about this elu velu divrelikim chaim, like we see by the sheretz here. There's two there's, there's two shittas in the sheretz. There's two there's two ways of looking at it. 
And, you know, I think in life we have both aspects, you know. Is it better, you know, is it better to do it fast and save time, lesser quality? Or let it take longer, but the quality will be better. So generally, generally we say perfection is the enemy of progress. You know, get it out there. Some people are perfectionists, you know, they'll wait 20 years, they'll wait 40 years, but they want the echos. And there's certainly a mahalach there, there's certainly a mahalach there. In the more tangible world of quantity, kamos trumps. In a more abstract, ideal world, echos trumps. Echos trumps. And this is the last, the last Mishnah, last Mishnah of Masech Good night. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.